Hey guys, it's Trisha Carr. I have new exciting things going on with my Mystic Arts Academy. You can now subscribe to receive all of the live monthly content for about a third of the investment of a single class. Included are at least one downloadable guided meditation per month, two live events ranging from classes, channeled messages, group readings, intuitive development guidance, Q&A sessions, and tons of community. You'll also have access to a private Facebook community for fellowship and support, and this space is kept super sacred and high vibrational. Your subscription gives you access to the whole library of classes and live events, which are on a vast array of topics. All events are offered online by Zoom video call, and many are also offered live in person at my studio here in Los Angeles. Subscribing to the Mystic Arts Academy is also a way for you to support the Charmed Life podcast and engage on a deeper level. I'm offering the subscription at a super low rate of $22 a month. Joining now locks in this rate for as long as you're subscribed. Click on the description of this episode or go to my website, trishacarcharm.com, and click on Mystic Arts Academy. I look forward to connecting. Hi, everyone. It's Trisha Carr. Welcome to this mini episode of Charmed Life and to my brand new series. This series that I'll be doing daily for I'm not really sure how long. Uh, I think I'm going to be doing it for 12 days straight, but perhaps uh, it's, it's co-creative. So we're going to see what happens. I'm, I'm going with the number 12. It seems right right now, but who knows? Maybe it'll be longer. Maybe it'll end up being shorter. But what this new series is about is metaphysical perspective on the Bible, on not all the entire Bible. I couldn't do that in 12 days anyway. (laughs) Just some choice uh, scriptures, just some choice texts of the Bible. Now, before I explain a little bit more about this new series, in case anyone is brand new to this channel or this uh, podcast, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for finding me, for finding this channel, for the finding this podcast. I'm saying it that way because this is both published as a podcast, an audio podcast on any podcast outlet that you may listen to. And then it's also a video, a multimedia podcast. So we have the video component, which you can find on YouTube, youtube.com slash Trisha Carr. I would love it if you would like, subscribe, share, comment, and review, especially the podcast, you can review that. That would really make me so happy, would warm my heart, and it helps to boost that mechanism called the algorithm, and it helps us all to engage. It helps you to co-create on a more, on a deeper energetic level. So thank you for that. And I do have my regular full-length episodes that are every Sunday at 12 noon Pacific. It's released on the YouTube channel as a live stream, and um, it comes out on the podcast afterward at noon Pacific. And it's also live streamed on my on my um, web page, on a, a broadcast page on my website, which is trishacarcharm.com, and on Facebook. So you can find it in all those ways. You can check down in the description of either this video or podcast, and you can find ways to connect in that way. So now back to these, to this mini series, to the mini episodes that I am doing between those um, full length episodes where I usually am interviewing a guest expert. I last month I did a series on charting the lunar cycle, and so that just completed yesterday or the previous episode. And now I am going to start this one about the metaphys about metaphysical perspectives on certain Bible verses.
Now, let me tell you what my inspiration is for this. First of all, I came from that system. I am actually now, I am, I should tell you, I am, in case you're new here, <laughs> I am an intuitive, I'm a channel, I'm a multidimensional medium, animal communicator, and I'm also a hypnotherapist, intuitive coach, and obviously I do this, I, I produce a lot of media, so spiritual teaching is the, the, the hub of everything that I do, and that's what I do now. I teach mysticism as an art form. I teach metaphysics as a philosophy and how you can sort of as the natural aspect as a teacher of what I say as nature and spirit, which is one thing that I feel I align with similarly to the teachers uh, teachings of Jesus because he taught nature in order to understand spirit. Then I think that that's kind of the, the concept that you'll find in hermeticism and in metaphysics. And so just with that, let me tell you, that's where I am now. That's what I do. That's what I've kind of matured into in this awesome, awesome journey. My background as a kid is in evangelical Christianity, somewhat fundamentalist. I guess there were many different shades of Christianity. The thing is, I, I wasn't conditioned that way from my family. My mother actually had some really negative conditioning around really dogmatic, fear-based kinds of fire and brimstone church. And so she was really just afraid of spirituality in general or church. Uh, the only way that we knew the paradigm that was that showed us spirituality was just Christianity, like, you know, just because of the culture. I grew up in Texas, and that was it. You know, there weren't even other, at the time and in that context, the place, there was no other option in order to experience what you can feel so naturally inside you of what is sometimes called God, sometimes called the universe, or sometimes called the Holy Spirit or source energy, prime creator, all of these these uh, different labels that we use for the same essence and, and other spiritual belief structures that might be Krishna or Buddha or Mus or um, the Muslim um, Muhammad, you know, the different representations we have for that God energy. And for my culture and the time period I grew up in, the only way you could sort of make a study out of that, the conditioning presented the Christian church. And for my mother, that was very painful. And so our family didn't have a habit. We'd go every now and again to church when I was quite little, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really a part of what we did because my mother had a lot of fear around it. And my father has fear around it as well. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I know that his mother was Catholic, but I'm not sure if she was raised Catholic or if that was a later um, adaptation for her and her belief structure. But I, I never went to Catholic church even one single time. So I don't know how that came into my grandmother's life. Now, not having been really raised and directly conditioned by my parents to go to church, I take ownership of taking myself to church because I was a spiritual seeker even at a very young age. And so when I was 11 years old, probably 10, 11 years old, I was endeavoring to go to church and I was going with my friends whose parents went to church and I would go with them and it would be a close friend of some kind. And my mother, of course, would sign off on that. That's all really great activity. And I found a church that I was really enjoying. It had a youth group and I was very lit up in some of the community, some of the fellowship and in the scripture. 
And in the prayer, in the process of prayer and being as um, Solomon says to go into your closet, I believe it's Solomon. This is the thing my, I I used to have it basically the entire text committed to memory. (laughs) And now it shows up randomly because I don't like read the Bible anymore. I don't study it anymore. I studied it so much that it became a fabric of my personality and a fabric of my resource for putting some kind of structure around the spiritual experience, which is what we all do. We all have religion. Religion is some kind of ritual or personal habit to help us to put framework and focus upon that essence. If you are a spiritual seeker who is endeavoring to not have dogma, religion, or too much structure, at least to where it is limiting, then we still have what you may call religion because we all have beliefs. Our beliefs are actually there to help us to stay safe, to help us to stay focused. And as a hypnotherapist, this is something that I work with, the beliefs and the thoughts and and constructs that are no longer serving you. And we uh, are shifting those and they, they end up showing up as patterns and habits. And when they are uncomfortable, they're no longer serving us, but they did serve us at one point. At, at one point, it was safer for you to adopt the beliefs of your parents because you needed to live with them and you needed to not leave their home and go live on the street and potentially find yourself in the hands of someone who was less safe. And of course, you didn't even know any better anyway. So that is that is kind of how I see it about religion or ritual. It is a tool and that is how our beliefs, our ritual or our religion is meant to stay. It's meant to be a tool. When the tool becomes the master and it becomes something that is like dogmatic, then it becomes limiting. When the tool becomes the master and it is now supporting us to feel separate, then it is no longer useful. And that can happen with anything. So for me, I was finding development. I was finding, I was finding a resourceful experience in the church when I was very young. And I opted to get baptized at age 11. And even though my mother had not been going to church with me, I was going, you know, either on my own. It was actually probably walkable, as I recall. I mean, and, you know, going to youth group or going with other, other uh, parents of my friends. I opted to be baptized, and my mother did go to that service. She knew this was important, and so she went to the baptismal service, which I think was probably held on a Wednesday night, because I can have a very strong, very visceral memory. It was really and truly, now I would say it was, even though it happened with the body, it was an astral experience, meaning, astral meaning like the astral body was the predominant experiencer in this. Astral projection is akin to out-of-body experience. So if that helps people, you don't really know what I'm talking about, astral projection. And of course, like I said, the body was there. But even though the physical body was there, the astral body or the spirit body was the one having the dominant experience. That's why this memory is right here with me as if it is happening now because it is timeless. It is not subject to the construct of time or space. It's here and now with me. And that's how it occurred when it occurred when I was 11. And it occurs now, even though I'm 45, as that higher experience, which is in the is present because it is in the eternal now. When I was 11 and this baptism that I had in this very, very um, traditional 
not charismatic at all. Not one of the ones that I think we started to get a little bit of like upbeat music with the youth group, but not very much. Very traditional, very dry Baptist church. And I went down into the water and I had a light body activation. And I didn't have those words for what happened to me really until fairly recently as I reflected on it and sort of asked about it more and more. So what a light body experience uh, activation is, the way I experienced it was as a column or a, a deluge of divine, pure, light, life force energy moving from the top of my field and my physical body and just light I, becoming identified entirely as light, but it went down like from the top to the bottom and then out my feet. It kind of seems to me like a kundalini awakening, but th that is more specific and it goes from the, <clears throat> the base of the tailbone up the spine and it's an awakening of some energy that is already dormant inside you. This was a dispensation, an awakening from that higher self or from God, whatever you want to call it. And so I went into the water, had this experience. It was very fluid. No one told me that would happen. I didn't expect it to happen. I didn't know anything remarkable would happen. I'd witnessed baptisms and they were just very regular up and out and go ahead. And this happened to me and I was brought up from the water. It was a full immersion baptism and I was shaking and I was weeping in ecstasy and just in, uh, I don't know, like again, the, a, a kind of an ineffable experience. And my mother was crying because, you know, her, her child was having, so I look out and I see my mother and she's weeping because her child is having some profound experience. And my mother's very empathic. And so the, the pastor was kind of like, you know, patting me on the back, comforting me. I, I'm assuming he thought that I got scared of being dunked in the water or something, <laughs> sent me on my way. And I just remember like changing and just like being really and truly, I don't know, stimulated or activated. Yeah. And <sighs> ecstatic and confused and blissed and all of the things. So this is, this was the beginning of some kind of spiritual awakening and it's interesting because 11 is really at that time just past the ego sort of having formed in a particular way and fast forward through the many years after that and I was devout and a seeker and studying and praying oh my goodness it's, it's a journey I'll continue to tell in detail probably throughout this series so I won't tell all of that story now and maybe you've actually heard me if you listen to this podcast tell bits and pieces of it but just suffice it to say that after a while, and I mean about nine to 10 years, if we're talking about 11, it was about 19, between 19 and 22, the time that I left the church. And I had some, you might call it backslides, because again, I couldn't find a hook into my spirituality and I really wanted something. And so that's when the church and the delivery of this doctrine became dogmatic for me and became limiting for me and became a belief that used to serve me and now no longer was. It used to be good medicine, but now I no longer need that medicine. No longer, not only do I not need that medicine, but taking that medicine now, it's beginning to become poison to me. 
And so that is my background. And I, like I say, was a profound biblical scholar. I actually went to a Bible school to become a minister and in and out, you know what I mean? And I'll, I'll, I'll probably, like I say, tell that story in detail as it is, seems to be interesting or necessary for this series. And so the, the reason I'm inspired to do this series, the metaf- metaphysical concepts in the Bible, metaphysical perspective of certain selections of the Bible, is actually because it may be controversial to do this. This is an inspiration to do it. It might be controversial. It probably will be. I don't know who's going to come across this. It's maybe a niche audience that would be like, yeah, this is perfect and I'm into it all the way. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe it's nobody. The reason it would be controversial for obvious reasons is if there are people who are offended by it because of their identity to this literature that we call the Bible and their identity to it as what they would, we would probably call themselves Christians and that it means something specific in the ways that I am interpreting it are heretical and unacceptable. And for them, it would be blasphemy or heresy to do this. And then on the other hand, there I have I, I am in this spiritual community of the internet and particularly probably YouTube, where people are spiritual and in, in I my estimate, many of these people who would have a really hard time with hearing anything Christian or anything biblical or even the use of the word God to refer to something like source energy. And if they have a strong reaction to that, I think that's probably because they have been injured by the dogma in one way or another. And even if it's indirectly by society and culture, because in the Western culture, we are very influenced by this literature, by this Christian culture. And so that's perhaps why they would have a strong reaction. But I'm just, I'm casting a wide and I'm being very general. But I do get anytime I, not anytime, but often when I use the word God, which when I say God, I don't mean a man. (laughs) I don't even mean an individual, which is going to be the subject of tomorrow's episode. I mean, I like to use the word God uh, in the same way that people use the word source energy or the universe. And to me, God is the collective energy of creator and God is in you and God is in me. And there is a prime, fundamental, a primordial energy just by deduction, by metaphysical philosophy or just by deduction that there is a primordial energy, an original energy, just because that's how it happened. And maybe that is why science thought of the Big Bang. There was antimatter, and then there was somehow a collision, which is that Big Bang, and then there then there was matter. There was antimatter, and maybe that's source energy or the God energy, and then it became matter. And, and you know, of course, we've you've probably heard of the God particle that they have been researching and so on and so forth. So when I say God, I mean that same thing. I mean the collective, but I sometimes like to use the word God because it does feel a bit individuated and it feels like a personal relationship with this energy. That that's just me. I actually don't usually use a masculine or feminine pronoun. When I use the word God, I tend to use I tend to say it if I use any pronoun. And I, I usually use it in a way where the sentence doesn't require any kind of pronoun. And so since it could be controversial on either side that non-Christians are people who are spiritual and are offended 
by the use of this. So, oh, what I was saying, sorry to, di- to digress. Sometimes when I use the word God, I will get hateful comments on videos. I will get like vitriolic comments. I should, should maybe not use the word hateful, but sometimes there's no other word. So yes, of course, trolls. And I'll get people really kind of projecting because like I just said, I don't even use a pronoun for that. But sometimes if I use the word God in a very neutral and open way, and often stack it with something like universe or source energy so that people can kind of get where, you know, not be distracted if that helps them. But if I use the word God, someone will be like, God is not a man and you need to do your work to figure that out. Or That's literally the kind of message that I've received recently. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. I didn't even use a pronoun, but that person ex- experienced, you know, they're having a different experience and their experience is that the word God is a masculine word and just kind of put in there when they heard me say it they thought their their experience was that somehow I was indicating that negative experience of a masculine individual who is God (laughs) all right so anyway this controversy is telling of how there is unobserved or uh, there is energy that would be well served to air out to bring deep awareness to whoever it is if it is the let's just say the christians and the non-christians if we want to polarize it that way if it creates controversy there's also an in-between set of people who maybe don't really have any influence of the bible like they didn't grow up with any kind of christianity maybe they even grew up with a different faith but if you're in the western world and so they, they may think like why do i need to hear about this i'm kind of bored by this I don't like I don't I'm not interested in the Bible why do I need to learn about the Bible and I hear you I'm not saying you do have to learn about the Bible actually it's more of I think it's just something that is is useful to look at because if you are in the United States or if you are in an English speaking westernized culture this piece of literature has really impacted us even if you didn't grow up in the religion even if you grew up in a different religion it still culturally seems to be impacting us and so I, that's why I think it's, it, it would do well for us to look at it through just some kind of lens that I'm hoping will be different than the lens of whatever has been delivered in, in the past. And the reason, like I say, like if you ask, like, why do I need to hear about this? It's, and, and why not some other sacred text? Someone might ask me. And the reason why not some other sacred text or some other religious literature is simply because I'm not interested at this time in pursuing study inside religions. However, I have a background in this. So it's just there. So I'm not really interested in learning new texts. Maybe I will be at another time. Some people really love doing comparative religious studies. And I'm not interested in that now. So this isn't about learning, you know, like compare, maybe I will compare it to other sacred texts because it might just show up. But at this time, I'm just not interested in that. I'm really kind of mining something that's already a part of my energetic makeup. And I believe it's probably a part of yours, even if you're not aware completely of how it is, because again, of the culture of you, I'm assuming you speak English since you're here. (laughs) Or even so, that's a very dominant culture in this whole world. And so, as I was mentioning, a lens that I grew up with it being a certain kind of this this biblical text having a certain lens. And for example, if you are a Christian, then you would view the Old Testament or what the what the what Hebrew would call the Torah 
you would view that part of the Bible in a biblical sense, meaning you would view it through a Christian lens. So you could validate the perspective of here, of this religion, of Christianity, and say, well, this back here in Deuteronomy makes sense, and I can put this lens on top of what happened in Deuteronomy. You know what I mean? And say, well, that was a foreshadow of Jesus the Christ. That Messiah reference was a foreshadow of this perspective I have about the Savior, you know, the Messiah. You know what I mean? So that's a lens. And then, of course, just the cultural lens that we have or that is being placed upon us through this literature and through this, the culture that is expanded out from it. Now, I don't, I liken a lens to those beliefs that I was talking about. It's a filter or the religion ritual that we all have. So I'm not saying that I'm going to have no lens as I look at these texts. Not at all. I'm saying that this is a lens. I'm actually using the lens of mysticism and metaphysics because I think of mysticism as an art form, metaphysics as a philosophy. And I will use these concepts, maybe these more generalized consciousness-seeking concepts, to look at these at these texts, at, the, at this literature. And it is a lens. And I'm okay with that. I think it's a valid lens. And hopefully by just shifting to the lens and allowing it to be the tool, then we'll just have some new thoughts and feelings about it. And maybe there it will serve us. Or maybe we'll check it out. I don't know. When I say it, I mean the actual words, the texts that we're going to be looking at in this Bible series. So however you feel about this literature, it continues to have a major impact on society. I would say worldwide, simply because even if, and I don't mean to be American arrogant, I just mean that Western world has a significant impact on the whole world, even, uh, you know, by symbiosis, the Eastern, if we just want to polarize it to East and West, even there because of how you know, we're connected. And then this literature and this culture around the literature has a profound impact on the Western world and maybe beyond. And so since it has such a strong impact on society at large, I think that alone, that strong impact, begs curiosity, begs an introspection, an introspection and uh, an investigation into it. Introspection as to what it means to me and how it has impacted me known and unknown, and also an investigation about what it is there. Why? Why did we collectively choose this literature that does change because it's reinterpreted and rewritten and reorganized uh, and re-curated? Um, it just is. It's not, it's not infallible. I'm sorry that that may be my first <laughs> hate comment from someone who thinks that the, the word of God, as it said, is infallible. It's just simply not because it is a document that can, I could tear out pages and hand it to you. And that would be the document then I had filtered for you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it isn't a magical, spontaneously regenerating thing. You know, it's not some kind of organism that regenerates itself. It has been passed through the lens in the hands of many, many, many people. And there are many different versions of this book, of this literature. There is the Mormon version, the Catholic version. There is the Jehovah's Witness version, the King James version, the New International version, the Living Bible version. There are so many countless interpretations of it that it is, that alone says it's not infallible. That alone says that it is interpretive, is interpreted 
already, no matter how you've gotten it, someone else interpreted it. Interpreted it. it. <laughs> I think I said the right amount of syllables there, but it felt weird. All right, so there we go. So if there is controversy in this series, then I want to look at it. I mean, meaning if there's controversy, if someone says you, this, that, and the other thing at all, if I get these comments then I, I, want to, I want to see it as the beginning of healing for the other person and for me and for anyone else who will connect with this. Because if we are in a place of, let's, we, we love to use the word triggered now, if we are being triggered and we react and we act from that, well, that's a good thing. That's a blessing, I mean, sure, could we take a breath and look at it without being triggered? Yes, that's one of the options. But even the option of reacting, and even if we project something out and say something that is, let's just say, irrational, if that pain body is activated, well, it's showing itself to us. And that's a good thing. If we get to be shown our patterns by having it outpictured and we act and react, well, that's an opportunity. So that's why I say, if I get trolls, I'll just say it that way, then I will see that as an opportunity for both of us, for all of us. And that's how I'm going to see this. And if there is trolling, if there is controversy, if there are big time negative comments, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to share it with you guys. I'm not going to, I absolutely will not ridicule. Um, I make that vow. And if I fail at that in any way, then I in advance apologize. I am not perfect. And if I am triggered and I accidentally react from my trigger, I apologize in advance. But I endeavor, I affirm that I will use the lens of seeing it as healing, the first step in healing. But I will share it with you so that we can all kind of come together on it. Now, what I normally do on my YouTube channel is if someone says something hateful, mean, rude, or whatever, trolling, I actually delete it. And that's not for me. I actually delete it because I actually, that's a, that's a space that I get to curate. And YouTube is the main place that it happens. I could get negative reviews on my podcast too, but YouTube is so, lends itself so much more to comments on the actual video. And of course, I publish them on social media. So those are all nets to be able to catch something like this. And I usually delete it though because if you as a viewer come there and you're looking for inspiration and then you skim down and you see a comment where they're saying unkind things and unloving things, well, I actually remove it because I want to preserve the space for you. And I may still do that because I would still like to curate it to be a place that feels good. And then I will take that comment and I'll bring it to you guys. I will quote it. I, it, I won't I don't know, maybe I will say the screen name because it doesn't really matter. If they post it publicly, they intended for everyone to see it. So it's not like I'm bashing someone. They posted it publicly. They published it. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what feels right at the time. And so I'll share it so that we can actually air it out and see how other people feel about it and hold space for them, whatever it is. Now, maybe it won't happen. I'm not calling it into existence. Maybe I'll only get one. Maybe I'll get zero. I don't know. Maybe there'll be 82 on every single <laughs> comment feed we'll see what happens you guys set your intention for what you want to see happens and we'll we'll just see how it works out all right and in, in addition to that I want to say let me know comment or, or however you listen to it or watch it let me know if you have 
certain questions. If there's like a, a particular Bible verse where you're like, this one has always been interesting to me. Do you have an opinion about it? And, you know, maybe I'll bring it on. Now, I'm not saying that every single part of this book is interesting to me. I, I Maybe to someone else. Maybe every single part of this book, however it is delivered, is interesting to someone in some way. But, you know what I mean? Like, let's just talk about it. That's when I say. I really want this to be an open dialogue. And so there you go. So if you have any requests, then um, shoot them at me somehow. I'm going to start with the first tomorrow, the first um, of the series. And I'm going to be looking at Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And I gave you the King James Version of that. That's what I'm going to start with tomorrow. I'm getting the truth chills right now. I got the Holy Spirit filling me up. I got the light body activating. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. And so that is the series. I may refer back to this particular audio video portion of it so people can understand the intention of it i'm going to put it in the in the um, description of each and every one of these offerings of these mini episodes and that's what i have for you today guys so i uh, i hope you get excited about it if you're brand new i hope this seems interesting to you and if you're a regular listener or watcher likewise i hope you find it interesting exciting or at least you're curious about it because i'm super curious and with that i will check in with you tomorrow Thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. Hey everyone, it's Trisha Carr. I'm really excited because it is the time of the year for me to offer my Animal Communication Comprehensive Program live online. Whether you are interested in the profession or if you would like to connect more deeply with your own animal family members, having an understanding of this form of telepathy will enhance your life and all of your other intuitive gifts. About once per year, I offer this program live, and that time is now. It is starting in December of 2019, and this particular live program has some bonus time added in. So the way this program works is it is delivered live online, and we also have a private study group of a beautiful community of like-hearted animal and nature lovers. Go ahead and check it out. The link is in the description, and I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for your love of animals, for your love of our planet, and for shining your light on our beautiful world. <laughs>